0: Love Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening and welcome to Paz IM Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining, Jeremy Dunn, and Jack McEnroth. They'll be taking your calls and speaking on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call
1: is 347-215-9442. That
0: number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I am your host, Robert Briney, joined by my co-host tonight, Jack McEnroff. Jack, how you doing today, man?
0: I'm good. How are you? Good, good. I am getting a little bit of an echo. <laughs> okay, well, let me, uh, I'll dive back in. All right, call back in. Okay, bye. So, um,
1: <laughs> so, Jack will be calling right back in. We have a bad connection. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to clear that up. Um, but I want to welcome you all to the show, and thank you all for tuning in. Uh, tonight, we have a, a great guest, um, one of my fellow campaign ambassadors for Hope's Voice, uh, Dwayne Tana. And he will be calling and we'll be speaking with him, and he's going to share his story. Um, but I wanted to uh, thank everyone for tuning in who's in the chat room and just give a shout out to uh, some people that are in there that I see, Jeff from the campground, uh, Michael Lee, our blogger, uh, the Pink Pirate, all our guests. You can uh, join Blog Talk Radio, sign up as a listener, and you can actually uh, create a username and chat in the chat room instead of just viewing if you would like. And it doesn't cost anything to do so, so uh, why not sign up and... You know, uh, chat with everybody. Uh, that's the whole point of the show. So I wanted to talk about some things that are going on with the pause I am network while I'm waiting for Jack to call back in. Um, we just added an instant messenger on there, so you can now instant message and I am your friends back and forth. We added some cool that we'll be adding, um, a new one every week. And uh, just a reminder that we do have a group chat held every Thursday night at 9 p.m., and we talk about a whole bunch of different topics. It's a great way to meet other members. And to meet other people who are in the same boat, you know, sometimes it's hard to reach out and to find that connection, um, you know, by finding support groups. So we hold a group chat, you know, just so you can open up the conversation and meet other people who are HIV positive. I think last chat we did on Thursday, it ended up being around self-esteem and how to build your self-esteem uh, as somebody who's HIV positive because there's certain moments in your life where you, you feel down and you feel you have no, um, you can't do it with anything else. So, um, just not bad, and there's always great topics and all that, but I think we have Jack back, right? Yep. Hey, welcome back. Is that better?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Okay, good. I'm on a, I'm on the landline, so that's, I'm actually at a Grammy party, so. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, hiding <laughs>
1: back,
0: I'm hiding in a back room. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, out on the red carpet?
0: <laughs> no, I'm not in L.A., I'm in New York, it's just a bunch of queens watching the Grammys, so. <laughs> that's so funny.
1: So what's new with you? Anything um, excited going on in the last week? Or two that you, that
0: you um. Well, no. I think the last show, the last week, I was at Lady Gaga when you were doing the show, with Lady Gaga Radio yes. City, so that was fabulous. Um. No, just like a fairly regular week. Um, I did get a call from the Oxygen Network. Uh, or oh. an email yesterday about being a, a judge on some new fashion game show that they have. So. I'll know some more about that next week, but um, I don't even know what that means. But So, yeah, but it's all good. Um, just getting ready for the next year and all my trips, and um, it's good. How are you? I didn't, I didn't know what you were talking about when I was gone, but. Uh, no,
1: when you were gone, we had one of um, our bloggers, Mike, from the site, who does the blog Living with HIV. He came on and shared his story um, last week. So that was really interesting because it's always good to have our bloggers come on.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and their blogs, you know, to get the word out about it. Um, but what I did want to mention is that I know for the last few weeks I've been mentioning about my blog finally, you know, going live on com, and it just went live, I believe, on Wednesday. So um, if you haven't checked it out, anybody can go to com and check on their blog section, and you can actually see my first post. Um, it's called Evolution of the Cyber Activist.
0: It was um, really good. I read it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I put a lot out there. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but, but that's good. I mean, it's it's do it. might as well lay it all out.
1: Yeah, you know, I was scared. I was scared to put it all out there in the beginning, and I had to really add more details to it to make it a little bit more interesting. And I, I just thought, I, you know, because some people can give you that bad response, that negative response, and I got a lot of good responses, and I was
0: surprised. Um. Yeah, what were you nervous about? About just admitting putting stuff to.
1: out there about going to a bathhouse and things like that and drugs and I don't know like I, I did it before on pause I am but to put it like really out there out there right but oh, well you know it's helping other people and it made me feel like I'm not a unicorn
0: yeah well you are a unicorn <laughs> but that's okay um, no but I mean I think there's a, a, so many people with that story although I did read an interesting thing in our one of our fag rags here that. Um, the They did a poll within the gay community here in New York, and the number of people that admitted to using crystal in the last year was down from 13% to 7%, so that's good. Wow. So maybe you were a trendsetter.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I have our guest here, so um, uh, please help me welcome Dwayne to the show. Dwayne, welcome to Positive Radio. How are you doing tonight? Actually, I didn't get him on that time. Let me try clicking it one more time. <laughs> Dwayne, are you there? Hello, Dwayne. Hello.
0: <laughs>
1: I know he's there. I see him. Maybe, Maybe we have a bad connection. Maybe. Oh no, that's Dwayne. You could try to call back into the show. That was kind of weird.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: that was really weird. I, I there's a lot, lot, There's, a, I there's, it was
0: a, big there's a lot of technical difficulties going on. And just so we know, you know, ahead of time, like, this is not my phone, so it's possible that the battery could die at any time, so, you know, if I stop talking, it's not that I'm bored and I lost interest, I just, my phone died. (laughs) That's so funny, that's so funny.
1: So we're going to actually talk to Dwayne, and Dwayne, I think this is him now. Let's see here. Dwayne, is that you? Hello. Hello, Dwayne. This is Dwayne. All right, Dwayne, welcome to the show. Hi, welcome. Sorry, (laughs) It's fine. It happens.
3: So how are you? I'm doing okay.
1: Good, good. So thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us and share your story.
3: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me.
1: So um, it's funny because I first came across you um, when I was uh, submitting a video to Hope's Voice
2: um, to Uh Todd Murray
1: to to get involved in that uh, campaign because I wanted to start sharing my story a little bit. You know, more on the public level, and um, you know, a lot of things that you said were so right on in the video. Um, you know, about different things about religion and how you know the religious leaders and things of that nature should talk about HIV more um, and all that good stuff. But I just want to tell you how inspirational your video itself was. Well, well thank you. That was a really that was great. Really experience. important. Thanks. So, before um, as we'll start in the beginning, I want to start. You were born and raised in Idaho, right?
3: Yeah. I, so I what's it like
1: in... out in Idaho?
3: <clears throat> well, I you know I don't have too much to reference it by, but um, uh, it's today we got a lot of snow, so it's pretty cold. Um, but it's pretty. <laughs> I mean, it's rural. <laughs> I'm in Boise, so that's the big city, but you know it's still pretty small.
0: How many people live in Boise? This is Jack, by the way.
3: Hi, Jack. How's it going? I'm good. <laughs> you know, I don't. I'm not for sure. I should know that kind of thing, but. Um, not that many. We probably have a little over a million in the whole state, so. Oh, wow. Two hundred thousand, maybe.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's rural, considering there's, I think there's nine million in on Manhattan, so. Right.
3: Well, my, my oh, hometown wow. is three thousand, so Boise is huge.
0: So, is that the kind of situation where you kind of know everyone? Like, three thousand is still a lot, but, like, I guess you basically are, like, once one, removed from every single person in your little town.
3: Yeah, that's true. Sometimes in Boise, I feel that same way too. It's pretty
0: small. <laughs> <laughs> so well, then, you know, that being the case, it's very interesting. It's very brave, and uh, that you do what you do,
3: considering everyone probably knows you. Is that true? Um, well, it, I I don't know much. You know, like I said, I I only know me being here. I haven't really been HIV positive anywhere else. But um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I you know, people know me as the you know, the AIDS guy or the guy with HIV. Um, I get that a lot. Sometimes people will come up to me and say, hey, how are you doing, Dwayne? And they'll, they'll tell me, like, their life story. They just got out of jail or they just did this, and I'm like, not even really sure who they are, unfortunately. And, you know, come to find out, you know, when you share, you, you have HIV with people. It's an intimate thing, and so they share those kinds of things. It's a really great experience, actually. I yeah, What was that? I
0: was just saying, I, I really agree, and I always advocate that, you know, pe- people, especially people that are feeling alone um, in their diagnosis, like, it's hard to just say, oh, you should be really honest and open about it, but, you know, I think the response is generally positive, and you'll find that you get a lot of support back from, you know, being open about your status, so, you know, yeah, yeah. That's an example of that.
3: Yeah, that's, I mean, my, my experience has been I've been fairly, you know, greatly supported, um, but I think I feel I'm, I'm very fortunate and lucky. Um, a lot of people in my state and in my area, you know, they wouldn't be as re- well-received from their family members or um, other folks as, as nicely as I've been able to, I guess, make it through. Um, um, where, where you live, is it fairly – like,
0: what's, what's it like there? I mean, is it fairly conservative? Is it fairly religious? Like, what, what kind of – what do you deal with on a daily basis?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, we live in a really conservative area. Um, I live in Boise and in one of some of the more progressive places of the state, which is still pretty conservative. I, myself, I consider myself to be fairly conservative myself. I'm kind of being raised here. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, very, um, I don't know, it's just very conservative. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Right.
1: Fine. So take us back when you went to Phoenix, right? And mm-hmm. and
3: you, you went to Phoenix to go to college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I I gr- wanna... like growing up, I can tell you like a little bit of like, I think growing up in a small town or like where I did, um, I grew up in a little town of less than 3000. And so um, growing up in that small town, uh, to be honest with you, all I ever wanted to do was get out of that small town. And um, I, I knew the only way that I could do that being a poor kid was to get some kind of like honors or awards or some kind of something in school to get me out of there. And so I worked really hard in school. I was, like, um, class vice president, senior class secretary. I got lots of different, um, like, congressional awards. I worked in the House of Representatives, and um, I lettered a couple of years in sports, and all those kinds of things just so that I could really um, get out of there. <laughs> and lucky for me, I, I was able to get an opportunity to move out to Phoenix, and there I went, that's where I went to school
1: did,
3: did and how they, was that change um it was I mean it was a huge change to go from you know a town of three thousand to Phoenix arizona um, and uh, so it was it was a huge change, but Phoenix is kind of like a big little city like it's so spread out, but you know initially it was just weird being around so many people everywhere, and so that was a little awkward for me and then um, one of the things that's kind of that's kind of i don't know you kind of like about a small town and you kind of hate. Is like you can go to the grocery store, you can go to the gas station, or you can go somewhere and run into people you know. And in Phoenix, that didn't happen quite, quite as often. So it was the same, seemed a little lonely, I think, at first.
0: It's funny that you say that because it's like an un- one, um, in one sense, it's like, I like guess it just depends on like your perspective. Like, mm-hmm. I, lo- I love moving to New York because I was anonymous and it was, you know, and I and I could disappear if I wanted to, but um, you can also look at it from your perspective and say, like, oh, a big city to me seems pretty lonely when you're right. used to growing up somewhere where it's very intimate and everyone kind of knows everyone's business, and, um, yeah, so... Yeah. So, are right. you, and do, I, you, do you miss that? Or did you acclimate to at a certain degree to Phoenix and then start to like it, or was it always kind of... Yeah,
3: no, no, actually, I actually really liked it in, in Phoenix after a while, um... You know, I liked to meet new people, and um, I mean, it was such a great experience. I, uh, um, You know, I think like a lot of young people do when they go to school, I was like, you know, I went to school to be an architect, and then I did a little bit of like working toward acting and modeling, and then to be a preacher, you know, and I'm not any one of those today, but um, those were all the kind of places that I experienced like the first year I was in uh, Phoenix. Cool. And then you were
1: you were you were di- when you were diagnosed. You, if I believe correctly in the video, you said you were in your you were
3: about to become a youth pastor. Well, I'd actually just um, quit school. Um, I went to Grand Canyon University, which is a Southern Baptist university in Phoenix, and I had actually just quit um, like two months prior to my twentieth birthday. Um, and then um, on my uh, and then like two or three months later is when I was diagnosed um, with HIV.
1: And what was that like for you, that that getting the diagnosis?
3: Um, well it was it was a really big surprise for me. Um it was the first time that I'd ever um gotten tested and the only reason I had even gotten tested is because I had a friend who um he you know, he had, had an S he was pretty sure he had an S T D and uh, in Phoenix he didn't have a car and that's not a good thing. And so um he needed a ride to the clinic and so I went in and gave him a ride to the clinic. And when I got there, you know, um, I decided I should go ahead and get one done too since I was going to be waiting anyway. And I went ahead and got an STD test done, and then they asked me about an HIV test if I'd like to get one for free or whatever. And I was like, sure, I'll go ahead and do that, whatever, it's free. And um, in two weeks two weeks later I went back and um, not hadn't really thought twice about it. Um, I didn't really feel like I had been a risk at all. Um, and then that's when, you know, like <clears throat> I remember like I – sorry, I've been sick. My throat's a little – little scratchy, Um, (laughs) but um, when I got back to, when I went there, I remember like, you know, before the woman even closed the door, she said, positive, and I was like, well, what do you mean positive? One second, and um, she's like, well, your test results came back and you're HIV positive, and I was like, well, what does that mean? And she said, you have HIV, and uh, I remember I just stared at her for probably 10 or 15 minutes, and I didn't say anything at all. And after that time, I looked at her and said, "Was well, there some paperwork I can fill out? Because I got to go." And I filled out the paperwork and I left. You know, and that's when I really started thinking about what HIV and AIDS really was, because I um, I didn't know anything about I didn't know anything about it. I, I was the first person I knew who had HIV. And to me, I was like, I'm not somebody who gets HIV. You know, I haven't had that much sex. I go to, you know, I heart Jesus. You know, I'm smart. Like I'm attractive. Like I, I didn't. It didn't make sense to me. And I hadn't had that much sex, so it just didn't really like click for me. I had no really. I didn't know where to go with it or what to think really. Right.
0: And I think it's sort of interesting. I think that's that's kind of a universal experience. I mean. N- it never really i mean you can hear all the education and all the the information and you can hear commercial after commercial and read advertisement after advertisement and until you know you may even be in like a high risk group or i.v. drug user or whatever and until it actually happens to you it doesn't usually hit home that hard you know and then and then when it does you, you know you a whole different set of experiences and stuff open up and you you really start to listen in a different way to all that kind of information
3: yeah it's, a, it's like I, it's really weird because I'm sure that I had had some kind of like <clears throat> somebody had talked with me about it at some point but I really didn't ever you know I thought the only thing I really could recall of HIV was like the movie Philadelphia and that was really all I knew about HIV and AIDS when I when I found out I didn't even know the difference between HIV and AIDS you know they might as well told me I had AIDS and you know plan your funeral
2: Right. Because I just
3: didn't know, and it, and it was it was 1999, you know, and I still thought it was like 1981 because I just didn't know anything. Well, I mean, and I, I don't think that's
0: uncommon. I I mm-hmm. give talks all around the country, and I still have people that come up and be like, I thought there was a cure for HIV or right. a cure for AIDS, and you know how, and people still ask questions like, how do you get AIDS and. You know you think we've had twenty twenty five years of education, and people still like until it affects you, it's like a lot of people don't listen, so you're just not gonna listen, yeah, we hear what we want to hear exactly, fortunately
1: <laughs> so how was it when you um you, so you got you were diagnosed and you you went back to um Boise
3: so to well, go, right? in, well um i well the first thing I did was i um I caught a plane back home to my parents because like um I, um, growing up in a small town, you know, I kind of like didn't care for it much, but nonetheless, I got to be really close to my family and stuff, and so not knowing a lot about HIV and AIDS, I knew I had to tell them right away, so I caught a plane pretty much immediately, um, home, which was Salt Lake City was the closest I could get, and they drove up and they picked me up, and, um, they had picked me up, it was actually Mother's Day, um, and, uh, <clears throat> I had planned that I was not going to tell them on Mother's Day, of course, because you know, that's not a day to tell your family, that kind of stuff. And um I um it didn't quite work out that way to say the least. Um I remember it was probably about ten o'clock that night and um I had planned that I was gonna tell my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, my little brother who was seventeen at the time. And then um <clears throat> my mom and my dad's best friend and that way they kind of I could just say it once and everybody kinda of knew it and they had their, their support system or whatever. And um I remember that night, um, it was at about ten o'clock and my parents were like, you know, son, we don't care if it's mother's day or not, we know something's up, so you know, tell us and so I called my grandparents and you know, because they do live in Wendell, they lived across the street and um I sat down my mom and my dad, and my grandma and my grandpa and my little brother and I basically, you know, said, you know, I've done what I've been able to do in my life already. I felt like I was a pretty successful twenty year old from a small town and I really felt like that they were responsible for that and I shared that with them and I hope that after what I told him, you know, it's like, I hope you still love me and you'll still be there for me. And I have to tell you that I have HIV. I remember my grandma, she ran over and she gave me a hug. And she said, um, we still love you. And my grand, my dad stood up and said, well, happy fucking Mother's Day. And he left. And my mom cried like I had never um, seen her cry before in my life. And um, that was pretty much it, you know. And um, I... Don't know if that was a good or a bad response, but um, it was somewhat expected. And then we just kind of dealt with it from from then. You know, it's been almost eleven years now, so my family and I have really dealt with a lot with it, and uh, they've they're like my biggest support.
1: So they, so they adjusted
3: they, well. They, they adjusted well, right? They did. It took a little bit of time, but um, not even really that time that much time really. My mom, in particular, was very like. You know, the next day she was like, you know, what song do you want to hear at your funeral? And, you know, like all that kind of stuff, which was a little intense and a little way premature. But it was just kind of like, it was actually in some ways kind of the coolest thing my mom could have said. Because she, in that moment, she was telling me, you know, that she was going to be there for me, you know, um, no matter what, when I got sick, when I died and even afterwards. And so that was really cool. But for me at 20, that's when I realized that, you know, I knew my parents and my family were important to me, but I didn't realize how much I was important to them you know, and uh, how much it was really going to impact them. I was worried about, you know, I had HIV and I was going to get AIDS and I was going to die and my life wasn't going to amount to anything or whatever, you know. But, you know, they were thinking about putting me in a coffin, you know, and not because of some freak accident or something, but because of, you know, a mistake I made one night, you know. Right.
1: So so that was you got you were diagnosed and you told them in 90, 1999. And then in 2002, you made this documentary. Tell us about the documentary.
3: Well, I had come in contact with a student um, from Boise State University, and she was um, I had been doing some speaking um, in schools and stuff locally, um, trying to share my story. And um, they ended up um, doing an interview with my family. Um, And we really wanted to try to create, um, you know, Idaho is a very conservative state. We're all about family values, and, and all that stuff is really great. And I knew that in order for us to really have something that was about HIV and AIDS that had to really kind of um, embrace that. And so we created a video that could be played in your VCR, you know, at home with your family, you know, in the living room. And it's just basically um, we, my mom and my dad and my, my grandma and my little brother and other friends and family members just kind of, you know, tell, told their story about how, you know, HIV impacted them when I told them and kind of how they were dealing with it and, it's like a 20-minute video that kind of just helps you see that it's more than just the person who has HIV that gets impacted and kind of how each person can, can uh, how important all those pieces are to everyone in order for me to live well with HIV, you know, in order for me to maybe even not have gotten HIV, you know, all those kinds of things and just kind of, I don't know, just the importance of all those relationships, I guess. Did you
0: had you? I mean, I'm sure you prepared to a certain degree. Did you know what they were going to say before they went on camera, or did something they say surprised you, or no? Was it experience?
3: was it was really interesting because at that time I had been I had moved up to Boise at that point because um, I like I didn't just come home. I went back to Arizona, you know, and that's I lived with you know trying to do HIV stuff and had a hard time on medications and stuff, and then ended up back in in Wendell with my parents for a while, and then made it to Boise. And so, like, I remember driving from Boise to Wendell to go do those interviews, which is about 100 miles, and, like, talking to the interviewer, and we just wrote down, like, 25 questions. Okay, ask these questions. And it just kind of is what came out of it. And, you know, it wasn't rehearsed. It wasn't really planned, which I think which made it real. Um, And you could just um, see that a lot of people were just at different levels of acceptance and denial and anger and hurt and, and and even hope, you know. And so it was just kind of, I think, a really compelling way to see, hopefully, our hope was to inspire parents and families just to have a very candid and truthful conversation about, you know, HIV and sex and that kind of stuff.
1: That's interesting because, you know, one of the things I wanted to do because I just started blogging for The Body is I wanted to to interview my, my mother and my sisters. And I wanted them to talk about, you know, what it was like when they found out and things of that nature. Very similar to what you were talking about with your documentary, but I can't get them to do it on video. Oh really? <laughs> what, like, what did you do to do it? Like, I don't know. I guess they're they're a little bit afraid to put themselves out there. Like, I guess they're okay with me doing it, but for them to go out there, it's like I don't know. They're a little bit more nervous.
3: So, like, what did you do to talk them into it? <laughs> you know, I I you know I just asked them. I don't think they really you know. I don't know. I asked them and they're were, they were willing to do it. My parents have always been very supportive of me in anything and everything that I've done, um, whether they agreed with it or not. And um, I think it was just another way. And they, I think they, they too, you know, I think they felt like
2: <clears throat>
3: it was a way that they could maybe help people that were in the same similar spot that sh- they were in or even help other small town, you know, parents from keeping their kids from having to deal with it, or if their kids are going to deal with it, that they can support them and see the value in that. So I think that my parents thought is equally important how it affected people like them, um, as it did me myself. And so I think that's, I mean, they bought into it themselves as well. But that's I, don't, really, I don't know.
0: That's really impressive just because, I mean, I've been HIV positive for 20 years, and I, I until just now I never thought, I've never asked my I mean, I, had this, I, I, t- I sat my mom down at one point, you know, about five years after I was diagnosed, and we had the conversation, and she cried, and I cried, and we did that whole thing. And, and mm-hmm. then, you know, she actually insisted that I tell my brother and sister about a year later, and, you know, we all cried, and it, it sucks to have that whole conversation. But mm-hmm. I was doing really well health-wise, but I come to think of it, I was like, if, what do I wonder if I ask my mom now? You know, and I, I know for a fact that my mom and my sister could never go on video because they would, <laughs> they would still cry. I know they would. Right. I, I think my brother could talk about it fairly um, rationally and form a full sentence, but I think my mom and my sister would just be a puddle. So <laughs> even, though it's, even though there's no reason to be at this point, it's like I'm, you know, I'm not going to die anytime soon, so, but mm-hmm. I just think they can't handle that. Interesting.
3: Well, it's such an emotional time. And, like, you know, my mom, <clears throat> my mom is, like, the strongest person I've ever known in my life. She's just, like, she'd, you know, she's not one to cry. She's, she's just the one who kind of holds everybody together. And it's so um, interesting that, like, when you watch the film, she's just so broken and so hurt. And it's, it's just um, really um, interesting how honest and real she was with her feelings about what was going on. Um, and for me it was the hardest it was honestly the hardest part for me was seeing my mom cry um on the video it was a, it was it was quite the experience to go through you know 20 some hours worth of you know footage to pull out 19 minutes
2: and, right. and it
3: was quite the experience i mean like i remember afterwards just like i really you know, i was afraid for myself <laughs> after watching that for so long cuz it was just so hard to watch but it was it was also inspiring too cuz my family really did you know they and when it all came down to it, they cared about me, and they wanted me to be okay, and they were just hurt, you know on a lot of levels
0: and just so for people that are listening, where
3: can they watch it? <laughs> I know <laughs> I <had talked laughs> um it's actually just on v h s um and it we don't have it online yet or anything like that, but that's hopefully something that we've okay. been trying to work on, but it's really just been something we've used around here, um our schools. Bottom and got them out into some of the schools and stuff, but it's we haven't even hit DVD yet. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> it's, a, it's an Idaho thing. Is that something you you want to do? <laughs> I
0: mean, or is your family cool with yeah. public with that or is that like? Yeah, the, my yeah
3: my fa- my family is really really I and mean, they're really great about everything. And honestly, I mean, they've already. I mean, it's it's hard enough being out about it in that little small town of three thousand people. What's anything else? You know what I mean. Right. I mean, they've really had to. And, and when I decided to say that I was HIV positive publicly, you know, I had that conversation with them because they are the ones who were probably going to deal with more, you know, flack than I was. But I think you know they've they've never told me about anything like bad happening to them. But I don't know that. My dad was kind of a badass in town, so I don't think many people would. Say <laughs> <it>. <laughs> That's always a good thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny.
1: So, so then after you do the documentary, in 2000 year, you got hope, hooked up with Hope's Voice. How did you
3: get involved with, with all that? Well, I'd actually just, um, I'd, I'd come across it online somehow, that they were looking for speakers, and um, I thought, oh, well, that would be a cool experience. I really had no um, intention of doing it, um, because I, I, I had just started Alpha, and I had uh, just gotten married, and so I was like, I don't know that I could really do this. Um, but then when they went ahead and accepted me and asked me to be a speaker, there was no way I could turn it down. And so I went ahead and went on the almost six-week tour. It was a, an amazing experience.
1: What was it like traveling with all these people who, because I mean, you're just meeting them for the first time when you're traveling, right? Where mm-hmm. you don't really yeah. know them that well. So, like, who, who did you, I think some of the people you travel with are, you know, people that
3: are out there and, you know, in the AIDS community, doing stuff like you. Um, who mm-hmm. were some of the people that you were out with? Um, well, I was on the I was on the RV with Todd Murray and Lance Smith. And then oh, yeah. um, um, I actually, um, my first stop at George Washington University, Nina Martinez was there, and that's where I first met Nina. Um, oh, we Martinez love Nina. Was, yeah, love Nina. Um, but I met her that night, and then um, I was also on tour with Amira... Um, I met Marvelyn Brown, um, the second, um, tour. She's fat. Um, yeah, she's really great. <laughs> we got tattoos together in Chicago, um, cause she had had a <laughs> bad experience in Texas trying to get a tattoo. So we got one in Chicago together, but
1: I like your tattoo. It's really, uh,
3: it's in a unique spot and I think it's a great conversation piece where it's at. Is that why you got it? Yeah, you know, you know, I would be, especially being in conservative Idaho. I'm always the type to be like, don't get tattoos where people can see them, piercings, things like that. Um, but for me, it was like, it was really important for me because I never wanted um, HIV and the fact that I had HIV to get in the way of anything I ever did in my life, including work. And um, so I just decided that I was just going to put it there so that it never would.
0: And just so for anyone who can't see it or who can't see. Your photo on the the website it's, uh, it's you're you're speaking of the little red ribbon on your hand right
3: right mm-hmm. i always yeah, hate I it when it's people it's call it it's very cool thanks a lot of people, people confuse it, it? For, a lot of people confuse it for the breast cancer ribbon which is all great and cool but no it's red dang it <laughs> <laughs> it's a little faded <laughs> So, so tell us about
1: ALSA, um, the organization that you found in Idaho, because you're doing great things from what I read about
3: it. Um, yeah, well, um, we started – Alpha stands for Allies Link for the Prevention of HIV and AIDS. Um, and in uh, 2003, um, myself and some friends um, in the area, um, I had kind of put together this idea on, like, IHOP napkins and just different things about <laughs> trying to – you know, this this place that hopefully could help. Because I was, like – I was, you know, I was HIV positive, I was pretty open about my story, and I wanted to get involved, but there was no agency to volunteer for, there was no agency, there was no way I could get a job, there was just nothing, and so there was kind of this frustration of wanting to have an opportunity, and I met other people that the same way, that they wanted to do something, and I knew it would take more than me, you know, to to, to try to really get a good message out there, and then we, I saw a lot of the folks who worked in HIV in Idaho it was just a small part of what they did, so they couldn't really do it well. They did the best they could, but they couldn't do so great with it, and so we started Alpha to try to be a cohesive agent to kind of um, help those agencies work closer together and be aware of each other, and then hopefully to connect uh, clients to them better, and hopefully in some way to help them even provide maybe more culturally appropriate um, services to, to anyone who may come in their doors for HIV care or HIV-related services. And so. We um, opened up an office above a local coffee shop in downtown. We really felt like being downtown would be important because a lot of the services are in other places of Boise. Um, And so we started downtown, um, all volunteer run. Um, Our first two years we ran our organization off of um, about $7,000 for the whole year. Wow. Wow. And, um, and then, you know, um, we've been pretty much all volunteer-run still. Um, this year, I guess, we're what we're now, we're seven years, almost seven years. In September, we'll be seven years with the organization, and um, we're getting ready to open um, two more offices in the state, in um, two other districts, um, right. in the next three months, hopefully. And then we're looking to open a couple on a, co- on a college campus and at a gay and lesbian center.
0: That's amazing.
3: And the thing that's just really important is just, it's just that it's average Joes and Janes and Wands and Rolls, and you know what I mean? They're just average people who care about the cause, and we live locally and we're talking about it. And I think we have the best influence over the people in our community, and so I think really being community-driven is, is the key to our success. And how do and people, people... I'm sorry. but that? No, I was just
0: saying, how do, pe- how do people, find out about it, find out where you are, get involved, like, how do you reach out, like, what's that whole process?
3: Um, well, we do a, a lot of different things. Um, we we do education, testing, and then we have supportive services for people with HIV. So our education programs are in the schools, um, we're at colleges, universities, drug and alcohol treatment centers, churches, really pretty much anywhere they'll let us go, we go. Um, and then through that education, we usually then provide free rapid HIV testing and counseling. So then they sometimes get into our our, our services for testing. Um, and then if they're HIV positive, then we may try to help connect them with social support and other support networks um, in dealing with their HIV status. So um, Facebook is our friend right now. We really love Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's just been really great. We can raise money. We can... Get new volunteers and really spontaneous participation. Um, a lot of people just go out and do things last minute because they have nothing else to do, and Facebook really helps them take advantage of that um, in a great way um, so how does how do people find you on facebook um they could just um i think you just uh search <laughs> I have a little thing on it too, but you just search for allies linked for the prevention of HIV and AIDS and you can find it okay cool. and um And uh, it's our fan page, and we keep on there any time we're doing testing, um, any of our other events, condom raids. We go downtown and we pass out condoms at all the bars and clubs and even little pizza stops and pita pits and really anywhere we can. um, We pass out condoms and stuff at least once a month. Um, But we do a lot of different things, and that's really the key to our success. We really try to – it's allies linked for a reason, and we really try to connect with a number of different places, whether it's movie theaters or co-ops or um, bars, clubs, or even churches, um, just to try to get people talking about HIV in, in, a, in a positive way.
1: Well, that's always a good thing. Um, I got some questions here from the chat room. I just want to remind, listen, if you'd like to call in and ask uh, Duane a co- uh, question or if you have a comment, you can call us at 347-215-9442 or post it here in the chat room. I have a question from the chat room here, where it says, are you on any kind of medication?"
3: Um, yeah, I am. Um, I started treatment about, or was it'll be almost four years? It'll be four years this month that I started medication. Um, the second go around, I've been taking the same regimen um, that time, and I'm doing really well.
0: And you said you mentioned that you had some issues with side effects. Correct.
3: Yeah, when I um, when I first started treatment back in 1999. I mean, there just was a whole different kind of way that they dealt with things. But they got me on meds right away. I did clinical trials for a month. Those meds, I really didn't react well at all. I was very sick. And they took me off, and then um, I moved back in with my parents at that point. And then I did meds for about eight or nine months. I had a hard time with them again um, to the point where one weekend I just said, I'm not, you know, if I'm just going to die, let me die, and let me not be drugged up you know, and luckily for me, I got six years out of that. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. It worked. It ended up being okay for me. Um, but I was able, cause my problem wasn't really my meds. It was more my head. Um, I don't think I was mentally ready or able to really deal with it. And so once I was able to kind of get it out of my mind a little bit, and when I started meds four years ago, I was all about, you know, I, I wanted to take my meds because I wanted to live, not because I didn't want to die. And, um, it was just uh my my mind had changed, and so I think the medications were able to work for me a lot better,
0: well, and I also think I, mean, I don't know your specific situation, but just to anyone who's listening who's thinking debating whether or not to go on meds or you know doubting their whole treatment regimen like the the treatments and drugs that are available now are so much better
3: they <laughs> are they, they are they you know,
0: yeah people like people were giving huge doses of protease inhibitors and there were tons of awful side effects. and Not that there aren't now, but I think, you know, the
3: outlook is a lot better in general. Definitely. And we, I mean, we just know so much more now too about what it, what it means to have good, you know, good medical treatment with HIV and AIDS. So, I mean, it definitely wouldn't encourage anyone going off. Of, you know, I wouldn't, you know, if I had it all, like today, if I were, you know, I wouldn't just decide to stop taking my meds like I did back then. Um, but, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Right. I don't want to encourage anyone to do that because it's really important that you do stay on your on your on your meds. Yeah, and I remember there was a whole there was a whole movement
0: there for a while about um, medication vacations, and people were thinking mm-hmm. that your you know your immune system needed a break and um, it would actually you know kind of heal itself and mm-hmm. rejuvenate if you went off your meds for a while. And I and I you know I'm not a doctor, and I I someone would have to fact check this, but. And and actually, Robert, I'm not in the chat room. If anyone happens to have insight on this, because my computer connection is crap,
2: but um, really
0: but I think there's evidence that actually that's a really bad idea. And the people that did do that had mm-hmm. their immune system kind of had trouble recovering. So, right. um, Generally, I think that's not a great idea. In any case, you should t- speak to your physician about it if you want to go off your meds. Definitely.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're definitely encouraging people to get on, you know, to get on meds and stay on meds, but. Well, oh, I,
1: I have a caller here on the line here, Dwayne, so let me bring them on. All right. Call our area code 404. What's your name? Where are you calling from?
2: It's Nina. I'm in Atlanta. Oh, hi, Nina. Hey. Welcome hey, to Nina. the show. Hey, Nina. Hi. Hello. It's been months, and I finally got a cell phone again, so I'm back in the <laughs> 90s. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to say hi to Dwayne because it's been forever, and I just um, – I've known Dwayne for about five years now, and I just, it's its amazing. He was one of the first people I approached uh, when he came to my school to speak at my school, and I think he was among the first handful of five people that I had ever met living with HIV and I'd had it my entire life, and you know, I was 20, 21, and it was just great to see somebody like him doing what he does, and he continues to be an inspiration to me just because he is somebody that works in, within the healthcare system, providing direct services to people who need it. So I just want to say thank you, Duane, for everything that you do, and I love you, and you you changed my life.
3: I love you too, Nina, and you did the same and for my me at the same.
2: My question for you is is about your tattoo. I'm kind of wondering with the faded color and the fact that it's on your hand, maybe people just automatically think boobies.
3: They might. They might think that. They could. That's all right.
2: And didn't didn't, um, Darren try to get a massage? Wasn't that the same trip when we were in Dallas?
3: You know, I, I actually wasn't in Texas when that whole, or in, in uh, Dallas or where, you know, Dallas, Texas. Oh. Never. <laughs> I wasn't there, so I just, um, I came on later on in the tour, so I wasn't sure the whole thing. Because I
2: remember, I remember, oh, okay, Marmaline was there trying to get her tattoo, that's right.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. That,
2: that she didn't get it in Dallas. Right. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, I'll let somebody with the next question come on, but it's good to hear you guys' voice once more. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Nina. Nina take Bye, care. Nina.
1: <laughs> we had her That's on the show true. last uh, sometime last year Jack remember
0: yeah yeah she's great she's <laughs> she comments on my Facebook every once in a while she's funny <laughs> she's a
1: really <laughs> awesome girl definitely I have
0: another caller here
1: but I'm not sure if it's somebody who wants to comment so I'm going to stay here Okay. caller area code eight you're on the air I'm going to take it it's the same person who called earlier and I thought it was you Dwayne Okay. You are just listening to the show. So let's see here if I have another question in the chat room. Um, how did you go about
3: starting Alpha? Did you get any um, any government support? Um, initially, what we did was we just got incorporated, um, through, you know, um, got incorporated and then we um, had a local um, 501c3 organization um, acted as our fiscal sponsor for the first two years. So we kind of worked underneath them. And then um, at that point we applied for our own 501c3 um, since we've been really um, volunteer run and based um, we really didn't have a lot of expenses except for our rent um, and in the beginning we really just was a center where we could educate people um, and um, you know give them access to condoms and and information and stuff and so um, but it wasn't long after that to where we ended up you know getting um, we're funded by a number of different things. We have state, uh, state funding um, to do our testing and counseling, and we have a lot of uh, contracts with local agencies to do outreach work for them and uh, things like that. And then, of course, a lot of donations and sp- local community sponsorships and things like that.
0: And you, um, I'm sorry, I don't have a computer connection here, but it's alpha.org, correct, is the website? It's. It's
3: alphaidaho.org. Okay. Our, our website really needs some work, but it's there.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> if someone wanted to donate, um, what's the best way? Through Facebook, or how do they get in contact with you?
3: They could either they could um, they could either go to the alphaidaho.org and they could go to our donate button and donate through like PayPal that way. They could go to our Alpha Causes, find us on Causes on Facebook, and do it that way as well too. Male okay, cool. And uh,
0: then a question or, I was just thinking better. about when you were just talking about condoms. Uh-huh. Um, you, I mean, I'm assuming you said it's fairly conservative. I'm sure it's fairly religious, and they're, in general, not so hip on anything having to do with birth control. Do you, have you ever had a weird experience of people being adverse to you passing out condoms?
3: Um, yeah, when we first started doing um, condom raids, we call them um, downtown, Um, we used to get a lot of just kind of negative comments and we still kind of do, but for the most part, people see us coming and they're like, we've just kind of changed the social norm. They expect to get a condom handed to them maybe while they're downtown (laughs) clubbing or whatever. Um, but at first it was, yeah. And we still, you know, like sometimes, you know, we still have, um, we do have, um, you know, people are out there, we're passing condoms and they're passing out Jesus tracks and stuff. And we just share, we just trade. We'll take yours if you take ours. Right. Um, You know, some of our biggest supporters, and I mean, I don't want it to sound off, like, being conservative, um, being in a conservative area, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a bad thing. Um, It it can make some things difficult, you know, in in our line of work, but um, some of our best allies and and supporters have been, you know, people um, of faith or people who may even be a little bit more conservative.
0: Right. Well, I mean... it, that's how it should be. It's like mm-hmm. if you if if you're living. I mean, I'm I'm not religious myself, but I'm assuming you know if you're living a Christ-like life, you want the best. You want good for the human race. You know, you want to protect everyone and want everyone to be in good health. And you know, we should all have the common goal of everyone being happy and healthy. So it shouldn't be a right. battle of good or evil. You know.
3: Well, I think I think with everything, I think we have like this idea that there's this stigma, and we always talk about the stigma, and we have these expectations that certain people think certain ways about us because of what we have or what we do. And I think that, unfortunately, when we do that, we don't give people the opportunity to actually care or to not think those ways about us. You know what I mean? And, uh, And I think that that's what we try to do here at Alpha is we try to give people more opportunity to care about the cause because we go to the grocery stores, we go to the more general populated areas, to try to get them, and we're not there to talk to them and hand them a condom or, I mean, if they want a condom, we'll give them to them, great, because we always have them, but it's more of the sense of HIV and AIDS is something that you should care about, and people who have it are people, you know, and and, and that's really just kind of our general basic message. Once people understand that, then they can get the information they need um, to protect themselves or their family members or partners or whatever.
1: One of the things I wanted to bring up was, um, that, like we touched on earlier, was your "Does HIV Look Like Me" um, video, which I just put mm-hmm. the link in the chat room for people to go check out. Um, first thing I want to ask you is that a vision board behind you?
3: A what? A vision board. I have no idea. <laughs> in your video, <laughs> yeah, that means no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> a vision board. A vision
0: board is like um, it, it's it's basically a visual a visual aid for. Um, you know, visual, visualizing your goals. goals. So you like, you get, oh, like okay. it's a goal board, basically, and you put, like, pictures from magazines or things that you want to do, right? Correct, Correct Robert? Like, Yes. Okay. Yeah. Don't you for yeah.
3: people? Yeah, <laughs> like people that
0: live the secret and
3: all that. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's actually just a collage that's on the wall. <laughs> it's just art. Here.
1: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, I think one of the other important things that you brought up that a lot of people... You know, like it, they don't really mix the religious leaders with HIV. And you brought that up that you think that, you know, that religious leaders really have this power over the youth and that they should use that, you know, to talk to kids about HIV compassionately and and, and in a caring way. And I think that's a really important point to make.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, but you th- know what I mean? That, 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 that doesn't happen often, so. Right. Well, I think it's important to recognize that, in, you know, religion and, and values and spirituality and all those k- things have a huge impact on us, as, on many of us as humans, what, whether, whatever we believe and why not, you know, be able to help, how, I mean, those people just influence it and they can influence it negatively or positively and so I think the best way we could do is just to help them to, you know, influence it in a more compassionate manner. So I, I, and I don't think that people are meaning to be incompassionate, but you know I I, I don't know I
2: well I don't think it's I don't
3: think it's necessarily
0: incompassionate. In I just think you know anytime you have a polarizing issue that people have strong beliefs about, there's going to be different sides, and you know may, we may all have this common goal. I don't think there'd be anyone out there. I mean, there's the religious crazies that say, oh, you know. AIDS is a punishment from God, but aside from those people, I mean, I'm assuming everyone wants to eradicate AIDS and HIV and help people that are living with it. So, you know, we all take different approaches. I'm uh, a lot of the really religious people like will you know profess abstinence and you know aren't all about condoms and stuff, but you know we all have the same goal. It's just about how we get there.
3: Mm -hmm. Right. And, it, and it's and we're totally talking, you know, in general, you know, we're generalizing religions in general, but of course, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I mean, oh, with, a,
0: go ahead, go ahead, Jack. Well, I'm just saying within when it, within any group, you can't generalize. I mean, gen, it's true, but there's, you know, there may be a general consensus, but within that's why it's important to reach out to people on an individual basis mm-hmm. because. Everyone's got different opinions, and everyone's got different life stories. And I mean, I'm sure if someone from the outside looking in looked at your family, they would never know, you know, they would never expect a story of your life to come out of what seems right. to be externally visible, you know, coming mm-hmm. from a small town and and outside of Boise. So
3: right, and I think what's more important than than even like the actuality is whether or not a <clears throat> like a church or a group or anything is really accepting, but whether it's the person, per- they are not from that person who's impacted, you know, like, and people could be all like, yes, I'm going to let you come into my house, and I'm going to treat you well, but if they don't think that, they're not going to come, and I think that's part of this, the, the idea is, the reality is, is I think most people probably are going to care, and probably be open to whatever, but they're not, but the perception is opposite of that, so they're not even, again, given that chance, I guess, I don't know, I'm lost.
2: <laughs> no,
3: you make sense. You make sense. One of the other
1: points you brought up in your video was you talked about how your dreams and goals have have changed, you know, a little bit, um, you know, since your diagnosis. Um, can you
3: talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Well, um, you know, I always, you know, growing up in a small town and kind of being the golden child <laughs> to some extent. Um, I really kind of you know had high exper- uh, high expectations of myself of of I you know it wasn't even really clear but it was going to be great you know and um, I in in being with being raised I brought myself up religious I you know went to church taught Sunday school was very active in my church myself my family is really not into that um, so like I just really felt like that my life um, I don't know I felt like I was I was setting myself I was set up to to have a life of purpose. And when I found out I had HIV, I just thought I lost that because I thought I was just going to be a a dude that died of AIDS and nobody cares, you know what I mean? And he didn't do anything. And that really kind of spawned me to actually even start talking to people because I wanted to, like, if I'm just going to die, like at least let me do something worthwhile before it's gone because I realized that all that other stuff that I'd done really didn't matter to anything, you know, in in the all grand scheme of it all. And so in the balance of time, I've, I've learned that it's still important for me to be that person. I've just learned how to define it a little differently. And I'm still that person. It's just different. I,
0: don't I know. do think that's it's interesting. Just, Wait, that's kind of the story we hear a lot. And it's like when faced with something that can be or seem life-threatening at the time, how your future often changes for the better. And you end up doing... Mm-hmm things that you would have never imagined doing before that are so much more i mean and is a judgment call whether it's more important or less important but just you know that when you look back on your life you're like wow i really made a difference
3: right well and i don't yeah and like you said it's not really that it's um any better or any worse it's just, right it's just different you know like i mean i was gonna you know i i really had probably no real chance at modeling or acting but that was kind of a place where i was I was thinking of you know diving into you know and and i'm you know it would be cool to have been able to do that maybe or maybe not but you know i'm i'm happy with where i'm at and and where life has taken me
0: and how is your health now i mean
3: um, good, you know i'm i'm really healthy i'm i'm healthier now oh. um than i've ever been um i uh one of my things you know i uh, i was really um <clears throat> i was just really you know like a pretty um I, I had never, I didn't really, like, when I got diagnosed with HIV, you know, I I graduated high school at Virgin. I wasn't really a partier, never really done drugs, anything like that, until I was diagnosed with HIV. So I did go through a stage of, like, dealing with addiction. And so, like, I quit, you know, like, I've, I, I'm sober now and have been for a couple of years. And, like, that has really helped my health be even so much better, um, you know, being able to not, you know, drink. And then be able to take my meds and all those kinds of things like that.
1: Well, congratulations
3: so, on your sobriety. Yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> I that's mean it. A tough it got, well. <laughs> and honest, honestly, four years ago when I started medication, you know, I was about to receive that, you know, that scary AIDS diagnosis, and um, I was not, you know, taking care of myself very well. I was in a in a in a marriage that was I was not happy in, and I, I was drinking a lot, and just it was just not good and, um, you know, so I got out of the marriage, and I started treatment, and it was the best thing I could have done, and a couple years later, I realized that I drank too much, and I should quit drinking, too, and that even made things healthier for me, so not only physically, but mentally as well.
0: Well, I think it's great that you say that, because it's truly not an uncommon story. I mean, and it's not, certainly not reserved for people that are diagnosed with HIV, but, you know, I mean, when you have something that that is, that intense a lot of people cope by mm-hmm. by going off the deep end um and self medicating. So it's great to hear that you came out the other end.
3: I was lucky. I didn't yeah, I was lucky so far. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. It <laughs> it's funny. You know, Dwayne, the
1: one message I did take um, you know, from the whole video and and even this interview here where he, talking to you over the phone is that you say that you know you, your dreams have changed, and after you've become diagnosed, but your core, the core part of Dwayne and all his dreams are still the same. And I think that's such a really important message that people should hear that that core part of you kind of stays who you are. You're always who you are, no matter what. Mm-hmm.
3: That's true. And I think uh, that's I truly like, believe that. <laughs> I've learned that even more in sobriety, <laughs> to be okay with that and understand that, but.
1: I think it's great. You know, we are uh, just about out of time, so I want to thank you for calling in and, and sharing your story with us and our audience, and, and I wish you much success um, with moving forward in the new locations of the of the Alpha.
3: Great. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Bye, Dwayne. Have a good Keep one. Keep doing do the good. work you do. Yep. Thanks, man.
1: Remember, guys, you can find more information on Dwayne at alphaidaho.org. Alpha is A L P H A. Idaho.org. You alright right there, Jack?
0: I know. I'm getting weird feedback. Should I hang up? Can you... I think it's stopped now.
1: (laughs) This phone is made out of,
0: like... Like, it weighs about, like, a half of an ounce, and it was made out of, like, hair scrunchies and super glue, so I'm surprised it lasts the whole interview.
1: (laughs) That's so funny. That's funny, because we did have some wind feedback. (laughs) Yeah,
0: because I'm indoors, and I'm like, I hear weird shit, like, on this phone, so... (laughs) I, well, I made it, so that's good.
1: <laughs> that's so awesome. He's <laughs> really interesting.
0: Oh, like I, that you know, uh, he's very well spoken, and um, I think it's always nice, especially when we're from such urban areas, to hear the perspective of someone who comes from a small town and what that means to be HIV in mm-hmm. a small town and have everyone know your business. And
1: because there's a lot of people out there that are in those small towns. So yeah, totally. You know what I mean? So that's always important. Um, doesn't um, RuPaul's Drag Race start tomorrow night?
0: It does,
1: February 1st. So everybody can go check that out. <laughs> and I just saw, did you just upload your uh, logo to your YouTube page? I did. Yes, I just saw that. I just um, favored it so people can go check that out. Oh,
0: good, <laughs> yeah.
1: Because you just posted that up. Um, your, your PSA for logo. Yeah, totally. You did, like, what, last month?
0: I, I think I'm cutting out, so I'm going to say goodnight. you uh, good, You do what you got to do, and I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Bye.
1: And just to remind everybody that you can uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, MySpace, or Facebook. All you have to do is search POSIM on any of those sites and keep up to date with our shows and our guests and what's going on. And don't forget to um, check out Jack's website at jackmackinlough.com, and you can join the social network, IM POSIM at posim.com. Thank you all for tuning in and uh, join us next week when we speak with the founder, one of the founders of Paz Brotherhood Retreats. Uh, his name is Klaas, and he was a guest with us last year. He returns to talk about the retreat coming up, I believe, in July. Um, so he'll be with us next Sunday, so don't forget to tune in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave a comment um, in the space provided right below the chat room and friend us here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, it's always good to stay connected. So from everyone here at POSIM Radio, I wish you all a great night, and thank you all for tuning in to get your dose of hope. We greatly appreciate it. Don't forget to check out my blog at The Body. Um, You have to go check that out at thebody.com. And uh, leave a nice comment for me. Have a great night, everyone, and uh, much love.